This is Melissa Milner. Welcome to the Teach Your Eyes podcast. The goal of this weekly podcast is to help you explore your passions and learn from others in education and beyond to better your teaching. The Teacher As Podcast will highlight innovative practices and uncommon parallels in education. Before I share my chat with Jeff Edgers, I just want to make a quick announcement that from now on, the Teacher As Podcast episodes will be every other week. I started this podcast during the pandemic, summer 2020, and I had a lot of time on my hands. Even most of the school year, I was teaching from home. So I didn't have a commute in the afternoon. I could work on my podcast starting at 3.15. When I finally got vaxxed and went back in person in April, I realized very quickly that I was over my head with work. We were working on the student podcast, which I did all the editing. That was very time consuming, plus my own editing for the teacher as, plus full-time teaching in person with the commute. My weekends were crazy. So... I need a work-life balance. And, you know, during the summer, I was able to keep up with the one episode a week, but it's time for the change. So I wanted to give you all a heads up about this change. I want to also thank you all for listening every week. My podcast listenership has really grown over this past year, and I hope you'll continue listening fortnightly, also known as every other week. Welcome, Jeff Edgers, to The Teacher As. Please tell us all about you. Uh, well, I'm the national arts reporter at the Washington Post, and I'm uh, based outside of Boston. And I basically uh, write. Uh, I have a very wide berth for the kinds of stories I do. I can do everything from uh, profiles of musicians, artists, comedians, to more investigative stories, to just flat features. I mean, basically, my uh, directive is to find the most interesting stories in arts and culture in the country and do them. Wow. What is your favorite kind of story? Because you just said you do a variety of types. Well, I think you want to, whatever you're doing, I I don't care what your area of, you know, coverage is. You just want to find things that um, are special and different and people will, you know, talk about. So, you know, the most basic rule is whether it's the story itself or within the story, you come home and you uh, talk to a friend or your husband or your wife or your dog about an aspect of a story or a story, often that's an interesting story. I mean, it might seem kind of basic to say that, but when you come home and you're like, I got to tell you about this. Well, that's interesting. The kind of story on the flip side that I don't find interesting is a story that is, uh, and you read them all the time, they're kind of dutiful, like they're done because they have to be done. You, you know, in arts and culture, you find that the kind of story about somebody who has something coming out, you know, an album, a a show, a book. And you can tell that on both sides, there was a little bit of a uh, kind of, this is my job. Like, this is my job to do the interview as a, you know, product maker. And this is my job to do the interview as a writer. And those are probably the kinds I don't like to do as much. Yeah. Do you try to kind of tweak it and still bring in some passion (laughs) into that interview? Well, I don't think there's any reason to do something you're not wanting to do. I mean, I don't know how better to say it. I mean, it's like sometimes we do things that on one level are not exactly what we would choose to do in the moment uh, because they are news driven or timing driven 
or your schedule forces you to do the story before you want to. But, you know, this is a great gift to be able to do this. It's really ridiculous. So to not get a certain level of joy and and uh, pleasure out of it is sort you know, it's kind of like, what's the point? So true in, in any career, obviously. I do wonder, as you're saying, you know, all these different types of stories that you do, what is your writing process when you're doing a story for the post? Uh, well, it's not that complicated, whether you're doing a story or a book or whatever. I mean, ultimately, it's just about effort and um, time. And so if you're working on a story, you have to, you know, say you're profiling somebody, you just have to really work hard to one, consume everything you can about that person you're writing about. So if it's a movie star, you watch as many movies as you can, you read about past stories. Uh, then you have to interview as many people as you can who might have some insight into that person. And it won't necessarily be the most obvious person. You know, if you're writing a story about Tom Hanks, it might seem like talking to Steven Spielberg or Julia Roberts is important. And it might be, but in many ways, talking to someone who is a smaller, you know, name and might have been watching things and listening to things, talking to like Peter Scolari, you know, who was his co-star and put his bosom buddies in the early 80s. He might have more insight than, than some of those other people who are uh, sometimes can be guarded. And um, you also just want to find unexpected people to talk to who you wouldn't necessarily think had been interviewed or had thought about it. I did a profile of Tom Hanks and one of the best interviews I had wasn't a long one, but at the end of Captain Phillips, there's a, a pretty powerful scene where he is he has been taken off the boat after the hostages have been captured and he's very traumatized. Yes. And he's being examined by a, a military doctor. And um, somewhere I read that that was a real person. So I went through the effort, which was not easy, but not impossible to find her and she was stationed somewhere. So she had to like call me from a ship and I interviewed her about it because I thought it would be interesting to see what she saw through, uh, uh, you know, experiencing that. So th that's what I mean. It's just, there's no substitute for the amount of research time you do, because when you get down to writing, if you haven't done that, you're, you've got all sorts of holes and it's much harder to write around lack of effort than to, um, just do the effort. And so that's one end. And then the writing part is really also, I, I would say hard, but it's really a basic thing. It's like, you just need enough time to write and you need enough time to write badly and then work through the bad stuff and get to the, the, the good stuff. Nobody can write a first draft perfectly. You have to have the ability to go back and rework it and fix it or else you're, you're in trouble. Yes. And do you have an editor like when you would be doing a book or how does that work? Does someone else go through with a red pen? Well, I mean, I've had editors, you have editors at every stop at everything that you do. It just depends on how much they get involved. So I've had, I've had book editors who don't get very much involved at all, or might say, oh, you know, the beginning could be better or the end could be better. And I've had book editors who are like line by line and like, this isn't working. This isn't working. I've had story editors in the same way. I mean, sometimes they're just different kinds of editors. You can have an editor who you might send the first three paragraphs to a week before it's due, just because you want to get a sense if you're on the right track. 
and you might have an editor who's like really obsessive about detail and line by line by line. I tend to like first kind better because I don't know if, you know, when you create a 3000 word story, I don't know if line by line and word by word is as important as a larger picture and like being able to like take it all in and figure out what works and what doesn't. Yeah. The big picture. Absolutely. Do you have a process for revising where do you highlight that you did this or that, or do you, what is your process of actually doing the revision? Unless it's like a total rewrite of something, which is very, very rare. I just work from a file that's just full of like a billion words. And I just, sometimes if I have like a, I've written the thing and I feel like I have to rewrite it. I'll just take chunks and copy them and then paste them below so that I don't lose the original. A few weeks ago, I had a real, I never have computer problems. I mean, I have computer problems, but I never see things get erased. And I was doing a profile of Dick Van Dyke and it was a big story for us because it was like one of the first after we got to travel after the pen, you know, after we felt like things were opening up a little. So it was like a 3,500 word story. And I'd interviewed like Tina Fey and Jim Carrey and, and Cheetah Rivera, um, Julie Andrews, Carol Burnett. It was on and on. And on. I had spent a couple of days with uh, Dick Van Dyke. And, and what happened is right at the last minute, it was like one in the morning on Sunday before I handed it in on Monday, something weird happened with our backup system on my computer. And I lost the whole thing. Oh my gosh. I lost like four days of work. So really lost the whole thing. So I had like a, a rough draft, but not a story. And because I was really tired at that point, but um, I knew I had no choice. And I don't really, I don't know if I'd believe if some writer told me that they lost their whole story on their computer. It sounds like a fake excuse. So I rewrote it from scratch, really. And it was interesting because I remembered so much of it because I had done it already, that it was much easier than I thought it was. Before I started typing, I just thought, this is overwhelming. I'm never going to be able to get this done. And for whatever reason, it worked out. You had it all in your head, <laughs> clearly. Wow. You know, we'll work with students and on the revision process and we'll say, you know, look at your introduction and now try it three other ways. You know, like, do you do anything like that? Or you've been writing so long, you know how you want your intro to go. I think that everything's interchangeable. I don't, you know, if someone says that they don't like, you know, if an editor says, I don't really like the way this is opening or this is working, or I think this would be smarter to use this here. I mean, I think everything is like a puzzle piece and it's interchangeable. And if you've done things right and you've written like a, you know, if you've written a profile that's like a movie with scenes, you should be able to shift those around. So sometimes you'll get to the end and you'll go, ah, the end is better as the beginning. Or, or boy, it took me a little too long to wind up to this moment that I think is actually the lead that's like seven paragraphs down. So I think everything should be, nothing is that, I mean, we're not that special. It's not that important to fight for like every word and every structural thing, because often even if it's not an editor telling you, hey, this should be better, even if it's just a regular person reading it as fresh eyes, they can really give you some insight that maybe you can't get from staring at it for four days, you know? Absolutely. This is so powerful to, you know, hear someone professionally doing this work. And it's it's not this linear writing process. It just it's it's very fluid, obviously. And I like that idea of puzzle pieces. 
I'm very tempted to ask you about Dick Van Dyke, but what I'm going to do instead is at the end, I'll ask you a question and, and if you, you know, if we still have time, but I don't want to get into that. I want to try to stay focused on the writing research, et cetera. So how did you get involved with writing some of the who was or who were books? Uh, I just had um, this a long time ago. It's like 1996, maybe. I don't, I have to look at the dates of those, but I just had a friend who worked at a children's she was an editor at Addison Wesley, which was yes. doing all these children's books that were like, they did the grossology. That was their biggest one. And she asked me if I wanted to write a, it was like a night reader. So it's like, I think it was called the midnight hour, maybe. I was a term. So at that point in time, there were, you know, like Nickelodeon magazine was very popular and it had a very specific style of tone. It was basically writing for kids who were kind of, smart and a little bit wise asses, you know, like just a little, <laughs> like a little bit of an edge t- to them, uh, a little sense of sarcasm, but it was also filled with like factual information. And so I, I, I wrote that book and, um, that was fun, fun to do. I, I don't, you know, I have them came with a little flashlight. I have like a billion of those books left and none of the flashlights, uh, none of the flashlights work. Cause they're like, you know, batteries don't last forever. <laughs> um, but that led to my getting an offer to do a Who Was book on the Beatles, which Who Was at that point had done no pop culture. It was all like Who Was Betsy Ross and Who Was, you know, Abraham Lincoln, that kind of thing. So they asked me to do a Beatles one. And um, I just looked at all the Who Was books. I mean, this is a lesson for anything you do. When I would I wrote a lot for Spin Magazine when I was around that time period. And all I would do when I wanted to understand the tone of something, because Spin had a very specific tone and newspapers have a specific tone and who was books do, is just read as much as you can of those as you go into it. And then you get the tone down or you get the sense of like how long a sentence should be and just how that works. I wrote the Beatles one and um, it was very successful. And I still get a little teeny check every six months for like the sales of that, because I think that parents, you know, those are built for kids nine to 12. Although I think, I don't think really 12 year olds would read those just knowing my 11 year old. I think they're generally um, not, you know, they're a little simple for those kids. My third graders loved those books. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my, you know, my fifth grader just read misery. It's like not, I don't think, (laughs) was is gonna work work for that that's awesome it's a a great book Uh, but the beatles one sold so well i mean it sold probably you know those books are obviously five dollars but i think a lot of parents were like oh my gosh now i can actually share something from my youth that i want my kids to appreciate so yeah those have maybe it's like one hundred and fifty thousand copies or something but that one sells so well and every Every month I see the sales triggers. I'm like, wow, nobody's doing anything and they're still booming. You can thank teachers for that too. Right. I hope so. Um, <laughs> and then I did um, I did Elvis Presley, which was good. And then I did Stan Lee. Oh, yeah. Out of all the ones that I've done, that's the best selling one. And then Julia Child, which I wrote with my wife, who's a professor of journalism at Northeastern. And oh, wow. I love that one, but that's the least successful sales wise, unfortunately. And I want everybody to read Julia Child. I want that to be like, I want her to be an example for people. But the reality is more people are gonna be like, oh, that guy made Spider-Man. I'm into that. So 
So that's just the world. But um, so I did four of those, and then I, I wrote a, a history of the song "Walk This Way," that was very heavily reported. Uh, that came out in uh, 2019 for for Penguin, uh, which really was kind of like the detailed story of Run DMC and Aerosmith told in separate parts because they're they're like separate stories that meet in one place. So I did that book. And I'm doing a um, I'm, I'm in the midst of doing a graphic novel with an artist on uh, on John Lennon. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And that's a whole different process in that I'm getting him basically the artist. Is, uh, uh, we're doing it 50 50 and I'm writing the script basically for him. And then he takes that script and does what he needs to it to make it adapt to a graphic novel. Wow. What time in Lennon's life are you focusing on? I'm kind of focused on the last period and like the last record that he made, but I'm also, okay. I'm also talking about other things that lend, lend themselves into that. Cause I also think the story of Yoko Ono has not really been told very well. So I'm, uh, I'm using this moment to like tell that story. So, so that's where, you know, it so it dips back into like his childhood, but it's really focused on 1980 and, coming back out of his semi-retirement to do double fantasy. Right. Wow. That's awesome. I will buy that for sure. So I I do wonder, as you're mentioning, you know, all these different interviews that you've done when you went to do like the Beatles book or the Stanley book, did you just do research in books and online or did you interview people for those books? Uh, The who was books are all, done with research uh they're they're not not new interviews okay I, I mean i do stuff i look at stuff that's online but in general i go down to the if i'm you know it's been a little while but when i did all those books i would go to the boston public library and i would actually take out i mean i've got the same thing here but i actually own these but i usually take out a stack of like 15 or 20 books at a time and i will have them physically with me and I'm using them as a, you know, it's like a big book report. Yes. So I'm using them as as a resource uh, to write this stuff. I mean, the thing about the John Lennon one is I'm looking at all these books and I'm really, a graphic novel is very dialogue heavy. Yeah. So I'm trying to take actual dialogue that from past interviews and use it. Or if I don't, at least know what the rhythms and the subjects and the tones are of the conversation so I can rewrite that dialogue to fit right wow that is really complicated well it's not i mean it's about it's really just about i mean all these books are out there as resources and to me it's silly to like try to wikipedia it or right you know, i i, I I'll, I'll look for like if i'll see a reference in a book to an interview from a certain period of time say you know stanley talking on some talk show i'll look that up on youtube and watch the talk show and like take notes on the things that are said, but why wouldn't you go get the actual books, which are there physically in front of you? And you can get a sense of how legitimate a book is when it's physically there, as opposed to, you know, on Kindle or something. I absolutely prefer book. I do a lot of research for the podcast. I'm doing one on how to be a movie editor and, you know, for the teacher as movie editor. But um, I, I find having the books in my hands and being able to underline and, and just that process helps me. So I go through and do that. And then afterwards, I pull out my big ideas. What sounded complicated to me was how you're taking that 
research, then you're having to figure out how to make it appropriate for a graphic novel voice. You know, that just seems complicated to me. <laughs> well, it's just about finding what, what uh, I mean, I don't, I don't actually, I don't find it easy, but I don't find it hard. It's just like any other piece of writing. It's like you find the tone you want to set and then you set it, you know? Yes. Yeah. It's really a lot of direct conversation. So you're really just trying to find a way to have your subject present what they, I mean, John Lennon was a very strong voice, so I can get, I can get that voice in my head sort of. That makes sense. Wow. Have you thought of writing screenplays and doing that kind of work? I like to see things turned into visual things, but I don't really, that's like, I'm not sure I have time to do that or like to learn the structure of it. I'd rather have, you know, I, we have a couple I have a couple things that were the Walk This Way book, and then there are a couple stories from the Washington Post that were purchased or optioned for movies. And so I'm helping the, the script writers on those as a consultant, but I, I'd rather they just do it. I just don't need to do it. And also, I think that it's so rare that you hear somebody say, oh, boy, they made a movie of my book, and it's so perfect uh, that I almost like don't want to really get involved in the movie part because I... I, I if it doesn't work out, I don't want to be disappointed that it didn't turn out the way that you wanted it to, you know? That's so true. So let's say, you know, a class is being assigned biographies and here's your person or they get to pick their person, go. And then you're doing the research process and so on. Let's say, a you know, a third or fourth grade classroom. What would the top tips, what like, what do you think teachers should tell students about getting their research and the process of writing? Well, I think that those are both separate and together. Like they should, I mean, they should start out. The first thing they should do is find out as much research as they can. And, you know, depending on what the schedule is for what they're writing, not write a word until they've done some research and figure out what works best for them. So, you know, when you're talking about children, sometimes you need to actually direct them as opposed to asking them what's best for them. So maybe you get them, uh, you know, say, work on this note file and take out, take X number of pages of notes, and then they figure out what works best for them. And then once they have those notes, then they can go and write, you know, but there's a certain amount of like, osmosis that has to take place there so that they're not just copying stuff out of a book. And if they've read enough or they've researched enough, then I I think they'll be able to then sit down and start writing the actual, you know, paper that they have to do. Yeah. So the, the first tip is heavy on the research and getting them to know the subject so much that going to write about it is not going to be an overwhelming task. I think that's what you're saying. Yeah. But I mean, the research is really important. And I know that with with my son, who's 11, he really likes it when he knows things that we don't know and can tell us a whole thing about polar bears uh, that we didn't understand or just details about anything. It really is satisfying to know information, you know, information is like, it's almost like a, um, it's like how kids are always boasting to each other about how they are at things. Well, information is something you can boast about and be, you know, and have (laughs) over somebody else. And it's not insignificant, I don't think. It's also very motivating. They, they, when students are learning new things, they get so excited and passionate and they want to know more. And then they have new questions, which I think is that whole writing process. So then they come up with new questions and we, and I always say, go look it up, see, see if you can find the answer. And it, it goes into new things. Let's say they've got their research. It's time to write. 
Do they start with note cards of what they think their intro, et cetera, or, you know, a, a doc for their intro, a doc for one body paragraph, a doc for another, or just do a flash draft of the whole thing? Like, what do you recommend? I think you should, I think an outline is always good. You know, like, I think that can be really helpful, have an outline. You know, how much of an outline you have is up to you. But I mean, again, you have to, when you're doing it for the first time, if you're setting the structure up for the children, you maybe need to tell them, you know, you need a page outline. You know, what is the beginning of this? What is the middle of it? What is the end of it? Yeah, we would we would either give if they need it, we would provide like a graphic organizer. Absolutely. Uh, that's a piece of it. But then there's also like just probably a little bit above this level. But it's it's like there's also just the inspiration of having a sense of what you're, you know, where do words come from and how do you write well? And I mean, there are times when I'm in a reporting situation, I see something and I hear what the headline is, or I hear what the lead is of the story. And I just know what it is so I can write it down. Or you're sitting and you're reworking something and you realize this is the meaning of this subject. And how do I tell that really well? You know, how do you describe a performance or a behavior or an achievement and you just have a natural inspiration. So, you know, I always have some way to write stuff down, whether it's on my phone or in a notepad. I don't know if you can teach that, but it's something worth mentioning, you know? Yeah. Either a writer's journal or, yeah. I wonder whether some kids could just talk into their phones, like with a voice recorder when they get inspired by their topic or something they're doing. I mean, I have, you know, uh, the other day when we were, we were away and my son, who's he's into mystery things and like, you know, he read, he was reading Stephen King. And so he, he asked me if he could use my computer and he wrote out a whole like two page short story that he thought was, was interesting. It was like kind of a murder mystery type of thing. It was interesting, but he was very consumed by, he was like, I've written 350 words or I've now got 722 <laughs> words. He was very focused on the amount of words in the thing, uh, which I thought was 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 kind of interesting to see. Like, there's a sense of like the more you write, the more you've achieved. When we obviously have learned that you can just have a lot of bad words, or you can have a few really great words. I think it's good to have something around anytime you want to write. Yes, I'm so inspired. I don't know if you can talk about it or not, but what are you zooming in on right now in your work? Zooming in. I don't, you know, like I don't ever talk about stories that are coming up. I, I feel like the thing to do is to write them. And then when they're in the, when they're published to, um, then you can share them. But I mean, over the last few months I've written, I wrote a story at Jacob's Pillow, the dance festival. I went there when they were having their first like post COVID performance being rehearsed and I just wrote about the what what that process is like um I did a, two separate profiles that were very different in many ways I did one of Dick Van Dyke who you know was is 95 and was receiving the Kennedy Center honors and is still very active and that was sort of like a historical story in a very specific way and then I did a profile of Wolfgang Van Halen who is son of Eddie Van Halen and was just about to go out and and release his first album and go on tour, which he's now on tour this summer. And that featured a lot of history in that 
you had to see it through the prism of Van Halen, but it was really also about introducing a complete stranger to a larger audience and figuring out how to do that. And so very different stories. Both of them required being in person with people. I mean, I did some Zoom stuff with Wolfgang leading up to it, but both were the way to make those stories really work required being in person and, and seeing the person at work. You know, and then the graphic novel. It's so all of these things are just you're just trying to find the best things you can do, even if they're a range of things, not really getting stuck in a rut of doing the same thing. I think a life lesson right there. <laughs> the variety is the spice of life. Do you have time for two quick questions? Sure, absolutely. Awesome. The first one is how can people reach you or see your work? Well, you can uh, you can always just Google my name and, you know, I, I have a uh, the place on the Washington Post, you'll see they have like a little bio and then recent stories come up. So that's one way, uh, you know, you can go to Amazon and get those books easily. I mean, the Washington Post, you know, I hate to be biased about it, but, you know, it's very inexpensive for what it provides. It's uh, I think one of their one of their deals right now is, you know, and I don't sell the paper. So it's like I don't. <laughs> but, you know, we're owned by Jeff. Bezos and he um you know he has the Amazon philosophy of of newspapers which is try to get as many people involved reading as you can and once you have a critical mass of people involved then you you know then then you've done a good you know you've done a good job so you know i the washington post subscription is is you know extremely cheap i'm i'm actually trying to think of exactly how much but I'm and I'm looking it up but I think it's like you get a year right now they have an offer you get a year for $40 you know online and it's ridiculous when you think about that and then I'm sure after that it becomes like $200 I, I don't know but the thing about it is I mean how many of us go to I know when I go with my daughter to Starbucks and she wants an iced chai it's like $4 you know yeah you don't even think twice exactly the idea that you would be getting uh you know all these stories across a range of subjects done as well as my colleagues do them for, you know, effectively like $4 a month is ridiculous to me. So that's the easiest way to find it. I mean, people complain, they go, Oh, it's behind the paywall. Well, it's not free to travel to California and spend, you know, last year before the pandemic, I spent six days with Sinead O'Connor going from San Francisco to LA. And then I flew to Ireland and spend four more days with her reporting on that story to do the definitive profile of Sinead O'Connor. Well, it's not free. Right. So, right. you know, you're get, you're 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 getting quite a bit when you when you subscribe. Very good point. Normally, my last question is um, you know, what the guest's favorite movie is and why. I I want to ask that question, but I also sort of want to ask Who's your favorite celebrity that you have interviewed and why? So I don't know whether you want to answer both or just one. <laughs> you know, I, I have probably a few. I just would say that I like I like people who are complicated or like not understood totally and sometimes not easy to deal with and sometimes not easy people. So, I mean, it's an honor to be able to interview someone like Eddie Murphy or and Dyke because it feels crazy that I would have that opportunity or David Letterman. These are, you know, just three people that I've been able to talk to. 
Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I could just go down the list of people that have been amazing. But but I'd say that like Chevy Chase, Roseanne Barr, Sinead O'Connor, these are complicated people. And to be able to get real time with them and really try to explain them. And, you know, sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. I mean, Chevy Chase hated the story we did, which was one of the most, uh. maybe the most, most read stories that I, that I've done over my entire time writing. But he's notoriously a difficult guy, yeah. right? Or, you know, my, <laughs> my term would be complicated. Right. You know, being able to do those was special and significant. So, you know, it's, it's all the way across the board. And, you know, Paul McCartney, I've talked to him like three times now. That's kind of amazing to me as someone who just, you know, when I was a little kid, I would just listen to those Beatles records my parents had and just be like, it didn't seem like that I was in any way connected to them. Yeah, that's amazing. When you when I talk to those people, the key is to when I've talked to Paul McCartney, I've never been like um, odd to the point that I can't do my job and I don't prepare because I think they get onto that and then you don't have a good interview. They get to be respectful, but also knowledgeable and also confident in what you know. Right. And then you can get somewhere. Like how I felt interviewing you today. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Come I'm on. like, oh, this guy like right. has interviewed some really big people here. <laughs> and I'm very, you know, I'm a year into doing this interviewing thing. And I, you know, I'm still learning so much. But uh, this was amazing. Do you want to just quickly say your favorite movie? Do you have a favorite movie? My favorite movies are what I've seen, you know, more recently. I mean, like I loved Barden Fink when I was a kid. Like I loved because oh, yeah. I thought that was just such a, a special movie. And the Coen brothers are so completely different and, and, and odd. And that was about a writer and it was very offbeat. But, yes. you know, I've watched with my son. I've watched Trading Places a couple of times in the last <laughs> uh, last year. And there's like some stuff that's. That's the thing about ratings. It's like you look it up on Common Sense Media or you... Yes. Trading Places is rated R. There's some, you know, breasts shown, but... Correct. <laughs> I'd also say that it's far less inappropriate than some Adam Sandler movies I've seen or yeah. uh, violent movies. And it like the actual theme inside it is so smart and the comedy is so well done that there, there's something to it that I actually think is is totally worthwhile for somebody underrated our territory. Um, and then, you know, I, I love old movies too. I mean, like North by Northwest is just an amazing adventurous film. So smartly done. So it it's across the, the gamut, really. Amazing. I can't thank you enough for just taking the time out because I know you're a very busy person. So I really appreciate you coming on The Teacher As. And I, I, I think the listeners are really going to be able to take away a lot for their language arts classroom about reading to do research and the writing of research. And um, I didn't get to talk about interviews, but do you record your interviews? Um, I, I record them when I have time. And um, yeah, uh, so I record them when I have, when I have time and when I can um, transcribe them and I try to record them. And, uh, you know, when I'm doing a big profile, I really do like to record them, but um, I also do a lot that I just type as I'm talking to the person. Okay. And, um, and, and, you know, I, I'm a pretty fast typer so I can get that stuff. So if you're doing like 15 interviews and interviews for a big profile, it'd be really exhausting to try to transcribe all that stuff. And you just would lose so much time in the transcription that you'd uh, not be able to spend as much time on the writing. So that's, that's kind of my, my 
kind of take on it. That's very helpful. Thank you. Because I spoke with Dave Malkoff from the, the investigative reporter from the Weather Channel, and I got a lot about interviewing, and I wanted I wanted your take on it as well. As far as when you're in the interview, are you writing? Are you recording? So that's very helpful. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, uh, my students are podcasting and they're going to start going out with little pocket recorders, but I also maybe want them to get into the habit of writing as well when they're listening. I don't know. I'll figure it out. I really appreciate you taking the time out. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad I could be, be of help. If you need anything else, just let me know. If you enjoyed this episode and have not done so already, please hit the subscribe button for the Teacher As podcast so you can get future episodes. I would love for you to leave a review and a rating as well if you have time. For my blog, transcripts of this episode, and links to any resources mentioned, visit my website at www.theteacheras.com. You can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Melissa B. Milner. And I hope you check out the Teacher As Facebook page for episode updates. I am sending a special thanks to Linda and Lester Fleischman, my mom and dad, for being so supportive. They are the voices you hear in the Zooming In soundbite. And my dad composed and performed the background music you are listening to right now. My intro music was Upbeat Party by Scott Holmes. So what are you Zooming In on? I would love to hear from you. My hope is that we all share what we are doing in the classroom in order to teach, remind, affirm, and inspire each other. Thanks for listening. And that's a wrap.